Welcome to Forte Catholic Radio. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. Happy 4th of July. It is great to be here with you tonight. Actually, I lied to you. I'm not here with you tonight. We were pre-recording this show a couple of weeks early because last week I was out of town in Baltimore. Um, and tonight I'm doing what all of you are doing, and I'm out watching fireworks, uh, hanging out with my family, that sort of thing. So we are recording this show a few weeks early, but it's still it's still great to be here in the studio. But um, t- today wouldn't... Uh, I would like to start start the show off today with a little help from my daughter. So the other day uh, we were recording and my daughter came in. My Both my children came in. Christopher, my son, got really scared of the microphone. But my daughter helped, so I want her to help me start the show off. So here she is. Maggie, say, welcome to Forte Catholic. Perfect. Say, see ya. See ya. <laughs> so there you go. Welcome to Forte Catholic from me and my daughter. I am the Forte Catholic. She is a baptized Catholic, and she's very quiet. So I guess she can be the pian- piano ca- Catholic. That, that's uh, well, I'm going to go buy that URL for right after we get off the show. Um, and I have two weeks to do it because none of you will hear this until then. So um, it is 4th of July. So what better topic to talk about than freedom? We talk about freedom today. Um, first, I want to thank those who have um, have fought very hard to keep our freedom. For those who have served in the military, those currently serving in the military, for all those who, who keep the peace here at home, um, just I want to say a big thank you to you. I know there's a couple um, former military people who listen to the show, so specifically thank you, especially my cousin, you know who you are, um, for, um, for all the sacrifice that you made for our freedom that we enjoy here in America. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the freedom that Christ has won us and the freedom that he wants us to live in. So uh, it's one of these things that I love talking about. It's actually one of the um, more requested topics um, whenever I go speak somewhere. So uh, it's one of the biggest difficulties that I've seen in my ministry with Catholic people, but um, both in youth ministry and, uh, you know, folks a little more older than youth. We'll stick with that. Um, but for the most part, we as Catholics understand sin. We, un- we, we, we know guilt. <laughs> There's a joke about Catholic guilt where we walk around mopey and we feel like God, can't, God won't forgive our sins. We need to fix it ourselves and then we'll come back to church and all these sorts of things. We get sin. We know what it is. We know how it affects us. Um, so like everything that I'm going to share comes out of watching good people, watching people who go to church all the time um, and working in a parish and working with young people and working with older people. Like it comes out of watching people s- struggle with not living in the freedom that Christ has won for them, the victory that he has won for them. Um, I see too many people like focusing on their sin, focusing on the defeat. And today on July 4th, like we don't celebrate a defeat. We celebrate a victory. We celebrate our independence. So what does this mean for us as Catholics? Well, I don't understand why we struggle with this because every mass, every time we go to mass, the priest proclaims this as he holds up the host, as he holds up Jesus, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are we who are called. And we respond, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So we're like totally negating this idea of Catholic guilt every time we go to mass. Because the priest is saying, this is the Lamb of God who takes away all of our sins. Blessed are we who are called to the table. Who's called to the table? Everybody. Like we're all God's children. We're all called to celebrate in this in this uh, feast that He has for us. This victory feast of the Lamb. And so we respond. It's like, okay, do we really trust what we what we're saying? Because we're saying we are saying we get the first part. We get stuck in this. Lord, I'm not worthy. A lot of Catholics want to stop there. We feel guilty. God, I'm not worthy to receive you. But only say the word, my soul shall be healed. All we have to do is to ask for God's forgiveness, and he forgives us. Like, when we go to Mass, we say the confidior, you know, where we beat our chest and say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most general grievous fault. It's a Star Wars reference for the three of you that got it. Um, <laughs> Jake's very happy. He's like, yes, I love Star Wars. And Jesus. So this is now my favorite show. Take that, Father Mike Schmitz. <laughs> I don't know why I'm mad at him all of a sudden. Maybe because he beat me in the uh, Ministry Madness bracket. Um, 
But we need to trust that God can heal and forgive us of our sins. So there's two sides to this to this coin. There is the reality of sin. Like we can't negate that. We can't completely change this Catholic guilt thing. Like we we have we know that sin is wrong. That's a good thing to know that sin is wrong and then then it takes us from God. That is true. But it's only one side of this coin of true Catholicism. The other side of the coin is that Christ won victory for us. He made us free by dying and rising. Uh, on and from the cross. So let, let's let's just start completely over. Let's just have a clean slate of all the things that we've learned before, the preconceived notions about what all this stuff is, and just talk about what things truly are. So what is sin? James chapter 4, verse 17 says that, so for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it's a sin. That's what sin is, knowing the right thing to do and not doing it, or conversely, knowing the, the right thing not to do and doing it anyway. It's all, it's all really in there. So that's a sin. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that definition of sin is very close to the definition of stupidity and laziness, but it, it actually really is very similar to the definition of stupidity and laziness. It's like we know what we're not supposed to do, or we know what we're supposed to do, and we do the opposite anyway. That's a sin. So in, t- in talking about this, one of my favorite um, stories on this subject is a, is a Catholic priest in Southern Louisiana. It's got that Southern, Southern Louisiana drawl. Um, it's where my, my, my family's roots are. So I love listening to people talk who are from Southern Louisiana. So maybe there's a little bias here, but his mom would always say it to him and his siblings. She was a single mom. Always say to him and his siblings whenever they left the house, remember whose you are and don't be stupid. So like every time they left the house, that's, that was their mom's mantra to them. Remember whose you are and don't be stupid. So who's, what she was saying is like, you're, you're my son. So whenever you leave my house, you're representing me as the, as the mom. Because they, they, as the priest tells the story, they live in a neighborhood where if, uh, if he did something wrong two blocks away, there was another parent two blocks away calling his mom. So by the time he got home, mom already knew what he did that was stupid. <laughs> so she would always remind them, remember whose you are. You represent me and I love you. So don't be stupid. Don't know the right thing to do and do the opposite. So this was her definition of stupid. She raised her kids in a way to know what was right and wrong and instilled in them the importance of knowing that people are always watching you and you are representative of yourself, your family, and ultimately God. So the priest says, like, now it's not just his mom. He thinks about God saying this to him. And I think about God saying this to me. Remember whose you are. You're my son, Taylor. I'm, I am a son of God, and I can see him every time I'm going to do something stupid. And he says, remember whose you are. Remember that you're the son of the one true king. And don't be stupid. Don't avoid doing the right thing when you know it's sitting right there in front of you. Don't do a bad thing when you know that it's wrong. You know that it leads you away from me, right? So I'm not the only one who has noticed this struggle with, with Catholic guilt. There's this guy, you may, have, you may have heard of him. He's from South America. He now lives in Rome. His name is uh, Bergoglio. He changed his name in the last few years. Um, you know, like uh, uh, Chad Johnson changed his name to Ocho Cinco. Pretty much the same thing. Bergoglio changed his name to Pope Francis. Um, you might have seen him before. He's kind of a big deal. But uh, he says in one, of his, uh, in one of his first books, The Joy of the Gospel, um, after he became Pope, there are Christians whose lives seem like Lent without Easter. So what he's saying is like there are Catholics, Christians, who are walking around like Jesus never rose from the dead. Like that. So what do we learn from Good Friday? We learn the punishment and the cost of our sins on Good Friday. But that's only one side of the coin. We have to also recognize and be thankful for like Jesus rose from the dead, not so that we can stay in our sin and be mopey and be in Catholic guilt. He rose from the dead so that we could be free. So smile, rejoice that you're a Catholic. 
If you're listening to this as you're driving in your car, smile at the next person you see at the red light and see what they do. Just smile and wave like Pope Francis did whenever he was elected. Just stood out on the balcony and just waved. Hey. Being Catholic is fun. The gospel is good news. It's joyful news. And Pope Francis um, says this over and over again since he's become the Pope. And this isn't just a new idea. So there's this guy that you also may have heard of. His name is Paul. He wrote like half of the New Testament. Um, He wrote his letter to the Philippians. Every time I talk about the letter of Philippians, I have to tell the story about the lector um, at this ministry event that I was at. She got up to read during mass and she said like completely with a straight face, didn't know she did anything wrong. A reading from a letter to the Filipinos. I'm just like, I I haven't read that one. (laughs) I bet that was really interesting. Uh, So not the letter to the Filipinos, the letter to the Philippians. Uh, Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again. Colon, rejoice, exclamation point. So so such a big deal that God knew that we needed to hear it twice. So he's saying to you, Catholic person who struggles with Catholic guilt, uh, who struggles with uh, only looking at your sin and not at, at the, the redemption that Jesus wants to give you in that situation. He says, rejoice to you right now through this guy on a, on a microphone hanging out. Rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Being a Christian means that we are a people of joy because we know that our sin, the worst things that we could possibly do can be completely wiped away if we ask God to forgive him. That's amazing, good, great news. So rejoice that God has saved you, that he won, that he spelled out hundreds and hundreds of promises to you in Scripture. So, like, the story didn't end at Easter. God knew that God wanted us to live in this freedom. He didn't want Easter to just be a one-time event. So he gave us things like the Eucharist. He gave us things like the Mass. He gave us the Scriptures so that he can continue to share his love for us each and every day. Rejoice that the God of the universe is waiting for you in a piece of bread at Mass every Sunday, daily Mass, adoration. He's waiting for you. There are some people in in the church who... Um, who have a hard time believing that God exists. But I think for the most part, people who, who are, at least are listening to Catholic Radio, listening to the show, I'd say most of you believe that God exists. So we would say, I believe in God, right? <clears throat> well, the struggle I, I, I have seen is, do we believe him? We believe in him, like we believe that he exists, but do we believe him when he says these promises? When he says, on the cross it is finished, when he says that when you, when, whenever, um, and he says to the apostles that whoever sends you loose or loose in heaven, whoever sends you bind or bind in heaven, like when he sets up confession for us and he tells us that our sins are wiped away when we confess our sins to a priest, do we, do we really believe that? Because I think so often God forgives us first. We can go to confession. God forgives us. He's probably already forgiven us before we even got there. We just need to go and, and actually ask, right? And then, like, maybe if I, if I do something mean to Jake, then Jake will forgive me next. But then I still feel like a dope, like, 10 years after I, like, you know, did something rude to Jake, right? I'm, like, we are often the last person to forgive ourselves. And when we're doing that, we're not, believing that God is who he says he is, that whenever we go to confession, that those sins are actually gone. So God has so many promises for us. He is who he says he is. He's done what he, what he, what he, he set out to do, what he promised that he will do, and he will do what he said he will do for us in the future. So do we really believe him or do we just warp it Because, like, the evil one doesn't want us to live in the freedom and the victory that Christ won for us. Even though Satan lost on on Easter, like, he still wants us to live in just Good Friday. And, like, God dying in our life. 
so what we're going to do, um, we'll start it now, but like throughout in, in, the, in the third segment, we're going to continue walking through this idea of what are the promises that God has made for us. So the first one is, the first one to really set us off is Romans chapter 8. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the d- dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. For those who are led by the spirit are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. So we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Like God won the war, but we're still fighting some of these battles against sin, against the evil one. We don't need to fall back into slavery because like whenever we sin, we're making ourselves a slave to sin. You know, we, you think about this a lot of times with, um, with addiction. Like you make the first choice to try that alcohol, to try that drug. But after a while, that drug's making the choice for you because you're getting addicted to it. It's, it's very similar with sin. We um, gossip one time. We look at pornography one time. Then it gets easier and easier to do that thing over and over and over again to where all of a sudden it's an addiction and we can't do it on our own. But Jesus defeated that sin. We don't have to go back to the slavery because we have received instead the spirit of adoption to which we cry, Abba, Father. We can cry out to our daddy and be like, God, help me. Help me in this thing that I'm struggling with. Help me to know and believe that your promises are true, that when you say that I'm forgiven, I really am. Even if I'd sinned yesterday, I sinned today, I'm going to sin by the end of the show, I'm going to sin again tomorrow. Like God still loves us and wants to bring us to him. So whenever we come back from the break, We're going to be talking to our good friend, Marcus Guevara from Thirsting for Truth. He's going to talk to us a little bit about how God has worked in his life. And then in the third segment, we'll continue on this idea of freedom in Christ. We'll be right back. All right, so we are here with Marcus Guevara from Thirsting for Truth. Marcus, how are you this evening? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Here on a Friday night, just hanging out. Uh, Where are you located at, man? I don't even know anymore. Oh, I'm I'm actually in the D.C. area. So I work out of D.C., but unless you're rich or a politician who's rooming with about four or five other people, uh, usually you don't live in D.C., so we're about 30 minutes south. Wait, you say politicians room with other politicians? That sounds terrible. Um, I said actually, I said unless you're a politician. Well, you're right. I did say <laughs> could be a politician rooming with people. Yeah. So <laughs> now the point is, yeah, if you got a family and uh, you want a little house, um, unless you got lots of money, uh, you got to move a little a little ways out. So are you on the north side of the DC or the south side or the east or west? South. I'm south. Of south. DC. Okay. I'm actually going to be in Baltimore next week. So I'm gonna be pretty close up to you. My my aunt lives oh, works yeah. works Living. in works in DC, and I'm gonna be uh, yeah leading worship in Baltimore next week. So uh, yeah, we'll be pretty close. Um, so yeah, we you and I met in San Antonio. We ran in a lot of the similar circles um, doing ministry stuff over there. Um, and I know that you started this ministry called Thirsting for Truth. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Thirsting for Truth is a ministry that uh, technically started about ten years ago. I was a goofball who was basically just on a path of destruction. Uh, I had a great struggle with lust, and I made a lot of bad decisions. And I didn't have much of a faith growing up. Uh, but I, I came to a point in my life where I just I knew I needed a change, and so I decided to go on a Catholic retreat. And I met a girl there who I fell in love with, and uh, she made me work really hard for her love. Uh, she had some real high standards for herself, and she challenged me to meet those standards. And after some failed relationships, she actually made a promise to God that she wouldn't kiss a guy again unless she was at the altar on her wedding day. And she told me that if I wanted to be with her, I had to respect that promise. And um, 
there was some kicking and screaming, but ultimately this girl was was too amazing to turn down. And it wasn't just her physical beauty, but this girl was just she was so fascinating, strong, innocent, and at peace. I decided to continue to pursue her because I knew I needed some of that stuff in my life. And uh, well, I earned that kiss in April of 2010, and we now have four kids, so it it actually turned out pretty good. <laughs> uh, but uh, more than anything, since that you know, since that day I met her, I've I've been on a journey to become the man of you know that God called me to be, and I've always had this desire to share my experience of uh, God's mercy in my life and and joy. So about four years ago, I turned. You might be able to hear some of that mercy and joy in the background. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing some of the some of the joy happen in the background. Exactly. <laughs> um, so anyway, about four years ago, I turned our story into a YouTube video. And uh, it's been received very well. Some great people took it and translated it into Vietnamese and Italian and Spanish. And so they could show it at youth groups and conferences and, you know, their respective countries. And so around that same time, I formally started Thirsting for Truth so that I could uh, travel and speak and, and write. You know, I started a blog on matters of faith, reason and theology of the body. And so I'm still doing a little bit of that stuff, but I'm currently doing very little public ministry as I'm trying to you know, really be present for my family. You can even hear as, you know, I'm just trying to do a podcast here. Um, there's always work to do here with four small kids. And, you know, I have a full-time job. And I'm also uh, in the process of trying to finish writing my first book. Oh, no way. So first first of all, yeah, I mean, all you have to do with uh, with your wife, uh, you know, your wife making you wait for that kiss, all you got to do is look at her with this crying baby and be like, hey, you made me wait for a kiss for years so you can at least get this crying baby out of here, right? So. Yeah, <laughs> is, that how, is that how that works? You're a better man than me, dude. Uh, nope. <laughs> that's yeah. not that's not how that works. Maybe you can teach me about uh, being a good husband later on after the show. But uh, <laughs> oh, we'll see, man. I don't, I'm not sure I know much about it. I try. <laughs> yeah, you're a better man than me, dude. That, that's, it's awesome that y'all were able to that y'all were able to wait uh, for for that kiss. But but even more importantly, the, that that's how we get most of our male converts, right? You find a pretty girl that uh, that you want to date, and she makes you become Catholic. And be a good person. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, and I, I tell girls that you know, you challenge guys because you, you'll never really know truly just how far they're willing to go for you unless you present that challenge to them. And most guys want that challenge, you know. I don't. I think too many girls are, are afraid to do it. And, and um, the sad reality is that a lot of the guys probably would do some amazing things if just given the chance. Yeah, I had, a, I had a girl the other day come up to me like absolutely flabbergasted when she found out that I was a virgin on my wedding night. She's like, I didn't know guys actually did that. I'm like, yeah, like you could totally, you could totally uh, get get that far. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's awesome that you're able the to thing, witness to that as well. Yeah. And so we're still really living off of the, uh, you know, joys of, of that labor now with our family and our kids. I mean, just the fun that we have, the awesome life we have. I mean, it, it was all worth it. Yeah, it was a sacrifice. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There were times where it was very difficult, but I'm glad that we did it because again, you know, we get to live off of, off of that forever. Yeah. So, uh, what is the primary ministry of Thirsting for Truth? Like when you're going around, uh, speaking and, and all these things, what's, what's your primary mission? Um, what do you, what are the m- biggest things that you're talking about? Biggest topics you're tackling? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing, I guess, in its simplicity is I'm just sharing my story. I'm, I don't think there's really much that's special about me, uh, honestly. I mean, you know, I, I just really, really cared for a girl, uh, pursued her. I didn't do it because, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be able to turn it into this organization where I could travel around and speak about it. Um, I just really cared for her. And, and you know, that love drove me to, to do some really special things for her. And I think that that's actually... Uh, one of the strengths of the ministry is that we often don't get to see stories like that anymore. Uh, it's it's not as common, or maybe it's just you know uh, always been a rare thing where uh, you get to to experience uh, a guy who who loves a girl that much and a girl who's that strong and loves God that much. Uh, we we hear about that in the Bible and we hear about it in theory, but there's just not enough that we hear real stories of that sort of victory. And so ultimately, when I go anywhere, I usually am just sharing my story. And in the process of my story, I hit some concepts of chastity that are, you know, that I learned along the way, and that I think everybody else, you know, has the uh, potential to benefit from. And, you know, just like, for example, one of those uh, ideas or concepts of chastity that I, I learned that I always was afraid of at the beginning when she told me that she was going to save her kiss for marriage, 
my fear was, well, how do we show affection for each other? You know, like how could we possibly last for years like that? And, you know, I, that question was answered in our relationship as I became this like stupid romantic, you know, because we couldn't kiss. And I had all this affection inside me for her that was just brewing and just ready to explode. I had to find ways. I had to, for the first time in my life, I had to search for different ways to express that affection to her. So I ended up writing her poetry and singing to her and massaging her feet and and looking like a doofus carrying her around campus and stuff. And (laughs) Awkward hugs during the sign of peace. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, you know, the funny thing is like we gave tight hugs. You know, I still kissed her on the cheek. So I showed her a lot of affection. But I, you know, all the time I would just, I had to tell her like, gosh, you're you're beautiful, man. You're just, you're awesome. You know, and like all of these things that, you know, rushed to the surface, this affection I had for her. But again, normally where I would just, you know, immediately resort to kissing her, uh, or, I mean, to kissing or to, you know, showing that through through physical, lustful means, I had to find other ways. And that's something that I never had to do before. And I think most guys don't have to do. And it's an it's a area of relationships, um, this kind of romance that most people don't explore and don't experience. And it's beautiful. And I got to tell you, like, you know, how we lasted for that long was, you know, it, it wasn't a chore at all. Like, that was a love that she, of course, loved, you know, every girl wants that kind of crap. Um, but as a guy, like even I loved it, you know what I mean? I felt like this was awesome, you know, I, being able to love a girl like that. But I I felt in love with her, but I also felt loved by her. So I never, ever lacked what you would, you know, hope for in any kind of relationship. Yeah, you are a lot more romantic than me. <laughs> maybe maybe I should have saved a little bit more kisses, but uh anyway, I digress. So so you mentioned that with with also with this ministry that you go around sharing this these types of stories. You're also in the process of writing a book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that book, uh, what it's about and uh what's the goal of you trying to uh, that you're trying to get across? Yeah, well, I am by trade a computer scientist and I work in cybersecurity and so you know, in in my mind, um, I love to study computer science and cybersecurity, but I also really love theology and philosophy. And of course, chastity um, is wrapped in all that stuff. And so, as I said before, thirsting for truth, uh, a lot of times I bounce back and forth between faith, reason, and theology of the body, and then also learning how to kind of marry those things. And so the title of, of the book I'm trying to write is uh, called Hacking Theology, How Technology Reveals God to Us. So I make a couple of claims in this book, and one of them is that I believe people who really understand computer science and technology, and I mean really understand it, already know a lot about theology and philosophy. They just need somebody to connect the dots for them. And the other claim I make is that technology is theological, and so growing a deeper understanding of computers and technology can illuminate and enhance your understanding of the faith. So my hope is that this book helps to bridge, uh, to build a bridge between people of faith and people who love technology. Yeah. So why don't let's dive into that a little bit more? Because I'm I'm listening to you and I'm like, how does how does no, knowing more about computer science uh, help you know about theology and philosophy? How, what what is that connection that you're making there in the book? Give us a little sneak peek. So computers really just they represent or they represent. The world, as mysterious as they may seem to many of us, they're they're really simple devices. They're built on very simple mathematical principles. Uh, you've probably seen binary strings, ones and zeros, in the Matrix or like hacker posters or something. Um, and you know, so computers are built off of these strings of ones and zeros. Really, they're they're nothing more than numbered patterns that communicate ideas. So, think about a math equation. We're about to go math on your show. All right. Is that all right? Um, I don't know math, but some people listening might. So <laughs> go ahead. All right. So so let's just say, think about a math equation. How, how does how does it come to be? Let's take a very simple example where we, we drop a ball 50 times. So each time you drop the ball, you record the results. You notice that there's a pattern, and so you put that pattern into an equation. You then introduce things like wind, distance, weight. Uh, and you update the equation to account for what happens when you introduce those variables. So let's say that somebody shares this equation with you and you've never dropped the ball. You should be able to anticipate what will happen before you've had the experience of dropping the ball, right? So in that case, 
someone was able to communicate to you something about the way about the world and the way that the world works through a mathematical equation. Even if you don't have that experience, you can understand something about it. And that's essentially that's logic and and why I believe many brilliant and well-known mathematicians from history have always have always had trouble staying in math and not moving into philosophy. You know, Albert Einstein said Pure mathematics is, in its way, the poetry of of uh, logical ideas. And Plato's The Republic, he discusses at length how arithmetic and calculation appear to lead the mind towards truth. I think you know we recognize that math reveals to us truths about the world, and computer technology has taken the simplest form of math, binary, those ones and zeros, and made it to represent the world in a beautiful and attractive way. So you can you can think of modern day computer technology as a, a form of electronic Morse code. And it's really just used to transfer information from one person to another. So here's here's the thing, Taylor, and this is this is why I believe people who deeply understand computers and technology, and by extension math, you know, uh, they already know a lot about theology and philosophy. Computers are bound by the same laws and the same principles as math. Remember that you know they're built off of math, and math is bound by the natural order, the natural law. We don't create math. We discover math. We didn't create computer technology, electricity, metals, light, and all those things. They, they already existed. We discovered it, and we learned how to manipulate it to do really cool and creative things. And so the logic of computers is, is the same as the logic of the world. And computers help us to, to deepen our understanding of that logic. You know, and I'll give you just an example here. And this is, I think, one of the most powerful ones. In theology, we've always been told that God is the creator of all things and that he is existence itself. That's a, that's a hard concept to understand for somebody on the outside, you know, maybe who never grew up with a faith. Uh, but if you look at binary math, you have only two numbers. You have one and zero. And the relationship of these two numbers is, is actually very theological. They represent existence and non-existence. There's, there's technically no such thing as the number zero. It's not really a number. It's a placeholder that represents, any guess? Nothing. <laughs> well, it, it represents the absence of the number one. Even when you said nothing, you literally said no thing, which means you had to you had to present something positive, a thing, and then negate it with no by saying no thing, right? So, so zero is not a number. It actually just represents the absence of a number, just as evil is not a thing in and of itself, right? In theology, we know this. Evil is how we describe the absence of good, the absence of God. So as in computers, binary is the basis, the entire makeup of this digital world. So in theology, good and evil are God. Uh, and the absence of God is the basis and the entire makeup of the theological world. And so there's many parallels like this um, where, again, like if you understood the, the mathematical or the computer science principles, uh, I feel, you know, that I could show you that how the theological principles just they map, you know, uh, parallel right to those ideas. Yeah, it's interesting because like as you were talking about the like dropping the ball scenario, I was thinking that um, that people who study computer science and study math they know that there is absolute truth which is one of these things that like if you drop a ball it's going to fall not only that like if you drop it with like you were saying with this way this many times with this amount of wind like this is what's going to happen like we can essentially predict the future because of what what we already know and it's interesting how that ties into to theology like there is truly absolute truth um and we we know things because of what's already happened. Like we've seen how God has worked, um, so we can know typically how He's going to work. He can still surprise us, but um, just like surprising uh, coming on the sh- you coming on the show today, I was just like, man, uh, it was surprising for me to learn something from Plato because last time I read The Republic, I fell asleep. So I'm glad you were able to come on <laughs> today and and uh, really illuminate on uh, us on that. So uh, what's the name of the book again? Hacking Theology: How God Reveals. Uh, sorry, how technology reveals God to us. 
Cool. So uh, yeah, guys, go check that out whenever whenever it releases. Um, I'll be sh- I'll be sure to share it with you, uh, Marcus. How can we get uh, in touch with you? How can we get in touch with Thirsting and Truth uh, website, social media, all that kind of stuff? You can either go to thirstingfortruth.com. Um, you can search Thirsting for Truth on Facebook. Um, and really, right now, that's that's the uh, the only two footprints I have. Like I said, as I'm kind of just trying to uh, develop some stuff, and so I'm guessing the next six months to a year, I'll, I'll start to kind of really come out with some products and uh, be moving and shaking again. Well, that's awesome. Marcus, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you sharing your time with us and uh, best of luck to you on finishing up the book and um, give your wife a kiss for us because you can do that now. <laughs> I will. Thanks, dude. <laughs> All right. God bless. third segment of the evening happy july 4th if you're just joining us we've been talking about freedom today we're just joined by uh marcus Guevara uh, from thirsting for truth if you missed it you can always find um every minute of the show on the podcast on fortecatholic.com itunes soundcloud google play stitcher literally anywhere you can find a podcast you can find my beautiful voice you're so welcome world that's my contribution to the world uh, anyway, uh, we're talking about freedom. So when we left off in the end of the first segment, we were talking about how this Catholic guilt stuff is stupid and I don't like it because Jesus came to um, bring victory, to bring freedom to our lives. So, uh, don't walk around in guilt all the time. That's my main message for you here today. Um, and w- what can actually help us to get out of this daily struggle? I think that one of the big things for me is knowing that God knew every sin you were ever going to commit. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, smart guy, smart guy. It's like a 90s Disney reference, so like three people probably got it. Jake didn't. He's too young. So God knew that you were going to mess up. He knew you were going to sin. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. The whole point of him sending his son was to reconcile us to him, was to forgive our sins, was to suffer for our sins and die for them and rise again to show that we don't have to stay in our sin anymore, that we can truly live in freedom. So there's a story that I want to start this segment off with today. It's um, about a sheep and a shepherd. I might have told this story on the air before, but... uh, I'm going to tell it again because it fits. So the sheep knows that um, that the sheep are going to wander around and not focus at times. And sometimes they're going to slip. They're going to get stuck in a rock. But that's the only reason the shepherd is there to guide them by his voice, to protect them. So if, if the sheep never wandered, there would be no need for a shepherd. So if sheep never got in any trouble, if they didn't need protection, if they didn't need help, if they didn't need... Um, uh, assistance getting stuck out of a rut, pulled out of a rut. There wouldn't need to be a shepherd. But you and I are just like dumb sheep. We slip up, we get stuck, we, um, we need help, we need protection from the wolf named the devil. And that's why he's there for us, to guide us by his voice, to protect us, and to lead us. So we are victors through our good shepherd. So let's actually live in that. Let's not live in this stupid Catholic guilt anymore. It says in the scriptures that the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs. So what's an heir? An heir is a person who gets their father's stuff, essentially, right? We talked about the, the, um, the prodigal son story a few weeks ago. And how he wanted his he he wanted his uh his portion early. But an heir is somebody who gets what everything that the father's gonna give him. We are joint heirs with Christ. Because of Christ's victory on the cross and in rising, we are now co-conquerors, co-heirs with Jesus. It's like he's inviting us into it. So let's actually believe 
in his promises. So how can, how can we um, continue to feed ourselves with the good? Because if you're living in Catholic guilt, if you, if you um, um, shy away from God after you sin, instead of running to him and asking for forgiveness, if you feel like, oh, I just need to pray more and clean up my life, stop sinning before I go back to church, or before I serve in a ministry or whatever, my hope is that this, this, this podcast will help you to get that mindset out. But the best way for us to get out of this rut is to feed ourselves with the good news, is to get into the scripture. So you have a book somewhere in your house. Maybe it's dusty. Maybe it's a family Bible you don't read. Or maybe, and just maybe, you're like 99% of America and you have a smartphone. There's a Bible on there too. Get the Version app. It's my favorite. I love it. Version Bible. Plug it in. Plug it in. I get um, a million dollars in royalties for plugging that app on the radio. Just kidding. I get absolutely nothing. But the, like reading the scriptures consistently is what absolutely rocked my world in college when I was struggling with Catholic guilt the most. Because, you know, college is a really good time to sin. <laughs> people, are, people in college are good at sinning. So Catholic guilt creeped in. <laughs> there are two current college students here like, yep. <laughs> but like when I was in this time where Catholic guilt was the strongest in my life, it was the time where I started reading the scriptures daily. And this really helped get rid of a lot of the misconceptions and twisting the truth and all this crap that I was living in. Because, like, Satan is the accuser. He's not going to stop. Whether you read your Bible today or not, he's still going to try to accuse you. That's his job. We know that from the Bible. He's trying to reach a guilty verdict for us. His, he, he's the lawyer trying to, you know, convince God that we're bad and to convince us that we're bad and not worthy of God's love. But what Christ is, Christ is the mediator speaking for us on our behalf. So he's our defense lawyer. He's looking at Satan and be like, okay, he did that. Well, that's actually gone because he asked for my forgiveness. So um, what's, your, what's your next case? <laughs> Jesus is on our side. Uh, it says in the scriptures, uh, I'm just going to shower you with scriptures here in this last segment. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. He wills everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There's also one mediator between God and the human race, Christ Jesus himself, who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's like Jesus is in your corner. It's the old, you know, like pop angel and demon popping up on your, on your shoulders. On one side, you've got Satan accusing you, telling you you're horrible, telling you that you're un, unlovable because that sin you committed, that that one sin you committed uh, could never be forgiven. And then you have Jesus on the other side like, don't listen to that idiot. <laughs> I already beat him. I love you. I want you. Believe in me and accept me, right? So um, when it comes down to believing these promises, um, we just need to rest in the prayer of the Father, uh, the prayer of a father in Mark chapter 9. So there's a, there was a father um, who brought his like possessed child, his sick child, um, to Jesus and says to God, um, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus is mad at him because this man says, if you can. So Jesus responds like that, which is a really interesting way to respond to some guy asking for help. So the guy asks, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus, with an exclamation mark after, says, if you can, everything is possible for one who has faith. So then the boy's father cried out with one of the more famous um, lines in the gospel. I do believe, but help my unbelief. So after listening to this episode, if you still find yourself over the next few weeks, few months, whatever, falling into Catholic guilt where you think you're unlovable or you think that, that, um, that sin's really holding you down and that you need to fix that sin problem, that habitual sin that you keep hiding in the darkness that people don't know about, like you want to believe these things. This can be your prayer. Every time you get caught in Catholic guilt, God, I believe that you love me but help my unbelief. God, I believe that you saved me, but help my unbelief. God, I believe that you love me despite my baggage. Help my unbelief. So when it all comes down to it, continue to grow in your knowledge and love of Christ, especially through the scriptures and in partaking of the sacraments. 
So the best place to go after you sin is to go to a confessional. To have um, God, through the priest, forgive you of your sins. To receive that healing. And also, like, by going to Mass, being poured into and literally eating and having Jesus become a physical part of you. Because, like, uh, there's the, whole, the old Zig Ziglar saying of, like, oh, every morning I read the paper in the Bible so I know what both sides are up to. What God and, and God and the evil one are up to. So if the, if the evil ones can continue to accuse you, if, if people are going to tell you you're unlovable, like, you need to be feeding yourself on the good side, surrounding yourself with good people, and, and most importantly, surrounding yourself with the word of God. Because he, he reminds us thousands and thousands of times how much he loves us. He makes amazing promises to us. And if we're not reading them, we often forget them. Uh, so the worst sinner and the one who sins once are both require a savior. So sometimes people are like, oh, like that guy can be forgiven, but I can't. Uh, we need to be grateful of, of the um, forgiveness that God has given us, the freedom that he has completely given us. And we're, the, it's so interesting because like when we approach Mass, with, we're approaching, you know, with celebration of the Eucharist, the word Eucharist actually means Thanksgiving. So our worship should be full of gratitude. When we come to Mass, how often do we go to Mass and we're full of gratitude? So often we get bored because everybody else around us is bored. We're thinking about what we're going to eat for lunch. We're thinking about if the Texans are going to win their NFL game. We're thinking about what we're going to do later in that day. We're thinking about how we can do, do or not do our Sabbath well, which is what we talked about last week. If we came to worship, if we came to Mass with thanksgiving for all the freedom that God has won for us, I bet it would transform how we celebrate the Mass. I really, truly believe that it would. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI had something to say on this as well, so it wasn't just Pope Francis talking about this. There's another guy who got his name changed and became Pope. Uh, Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but it's an encounter with an event, a person, which gives new life and a new horizon and decisive direction. So whenever we're feeling this Catholic guilt, it's like, no, like we're not being Christian. Isn't just like, Oh, we're making this choice or it's something that we can't attain, but it's truly encountering Jesus a person, encountering him, even in the depths of our sin. And that gives us a new horizon, new hope in a decisive direction, like I'm going forward with Jesus. So don't let your faith just stay an idea. Don't let this Catholic guilt is stupid and like this freedom in Christ, living in the freedom of Christ, don't let it stay an idea. But bring it to God tonight. After you, re- after you read this or listen to this podcast, like bring it to God. Find somebody to pray with. Like don't let this stay an idea. But how can you practically make the freedom of Christ come alive in your life. Last week we were at this summer camp, uh, Camp Basic, with our, our junior high students, and our, our theme was wild and free. Our theme verse was, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Again, with this kind of repetition, because God knows that we need to hear things over and over again when we don't get them. So we talked all week about what does being wild and free actually truly mean? And we talked about, okay, what is, what is, we had this whole week of being at camp, of playing, of hanging out. It's like being free. Uh, JP2 said, um, true freedom is not freedom to do whatever we, whatever we want, but to do as we ought. And I love going on, on summer camps or, or mission trips because it's like, this is what life should look like where we went about our business for the day. Our business for the day was actually being wild, having a lot of fun. We've got pictures of going on blobs, videos of going on blobs. Like if you've never been on a blob before, I explained it a couple weeks ago, but it's this big balloon, essentially, like a 30, 20 foot balloon filled with air. There's a, a huge platform. One person sits at the end of the blob. 
One person jumps off the platform and skyrockets the other person. And it's really f- interesting because most of the time, I, I weigh a lot. I weigh around 240, 250 pounds. And most of the time, they have a 50-pound weight limit. And I'm like, there's literally no one within 50 pounds of me at this camp. So typically, like, they don't let big people blob little people. These guys did not care. (laughs) I was blobbing like the smallest little person. A a lot of you guys know Miss Marvin, who has another show, who's um, on another show on Red Sea Radio. Uh, I got to blob her daughter, who's maybe 100 pounds. (laughs) She went absolutely flying. It was so much fun. But this whole camp, just being wild, having fun throughout the day. And in the morning, we had a a little Bible, 15 to 20 minute Bible study, five minutes time of prayer. And then in the evening, like somebody would share a talk for like 15, 20 minutes about the theme. And then we do some praise and worship and then go, you know, hang out by a bonfire or something. It's like, that's what being wild and free looks like. So how do we take that home? And make that, okay, make that practical. We can't live at summer camp. But it's go about the business of the day. Have some fun. Be joyful. Live in the freedom and the victory that Christ has given you. And bookend your day with prayer. We didn't spend hours and hours in prayer because they're junior high kids and they'd absolutely hate us if we did that. I mean, honestly, like I can't go five days of praying like four or five hours a day. That I, I would I'd drive me crazy. But what's practical? What's realistic? Living in the true freedom of God is doing the things that God's called you to do. If he's called you to be an electrician, go be an electrician. If he's called you to be a teacher, go be a teacher. If he's called you to share the gospel and be in ministry, go do that. Whatever you're called to do, we're all called to be disciples and followers of God. So how do you live in the freedom? Don't let sin hold you back. Don't let your, your, your job or your vocation get in the way of being, having these times of prayer to negate all the negative crap that's coming into your life. Having these times where you're reading the scriptures, whether it's at mass, you're reading them on your phone, you're reading them in your Bible at home, taking some time to read through these promises that God has given you and, and, and asking yourself, am I truly believing that God is who he says he is, that he's really the victor, and that he's really invited me into this. So I really hope that you guys got something out of this, that you're able to live wild and free. Uh, to close the show again today, I just want to thank you all, all the people who have um, rated the show on iTunes. Somebody today uh, who was in the military said, Taylor's role is great. The show is uh, very thought out. Um, he's great at handling his guest. Handling is oh, a great handle on interacting with guests oh yeah i handle my guests uh he he said it's really inspiring for him i really appreciate that um if you would please go like rate subscribe share this show um on social media i post the podcast every day after we go live on tuesdays again thanks for joining me tonight enjoy your fourth of july let freedom ring america see ya